This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. I just wanted to again welcome Chinyo. A few words to say about her in a moment, and also uh, to again any uh, newish folks um, zooming in and visitors as well. Thank you for coming. So uh, Chimio Atkinson has practiced Zen meditation for a long time, for about 30 years, and is a, a, a long-term disciple of the Reverend Tejo Munich, who is uh, in the Katagiri Roshi lineage, one that is parallel to and deeply entwined with ours in the Suzuki Roshi lineage, and uh, trained at Great Tree uh, Women's Temple, Zen Women's Temple in Western North Carolina, and also in Japan including at the uh, the Nisodo in Nagoya. This is the women's training temple renowned for its uh, rigor <laughs> and also has visited numerous other uh, temples and trained there. And uh, she was head of practice at Great Tree uh, for five years until 2020. I, uh, I'm very glad to have been able to uh, meet uh, with Chimio, get to know her a little bit while I was still in North Carolina and hear her Dharma on a couple of occasions. And I'm very pleased that she found time to come and visit us and offer uh, her teaching. So welcome, Chimio, again, and uh, thank you. And it's all yours. Thank you, Cheryl-san. I hope you all can hear me well. Please let me know if you can't. I hope you all are well in Austin after this crazy month of weather and that everybody is safe and warm and well-housed. So thank you very much for inviting me. I gave Charles this crazy title <laughs> for my talk today, and it may or may not fit, but we're gonna go ahead anyway. One of my favorite classicals of Dogen is the Tenzo Kyoko, the instructions to the cook. And it's, I, I don't know, I keep the book out all the time. I've got like several different versions of it around. So it's been very important to my practice. I'm not even gonna say that I truly understand all of it. I can say that I, I feel very close to it. I always feel you know, that the basis of the practice is in that. It's in, it's in a lot of things, but it somehow speaks to me. This is the, 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 these are Dogen's words that speak to me, whether I get, have a clear understanding of it or not. I used to, at, at Great Tree, and I was at Great Tree for a very long time, I was the Tenzo or the cook, um, mainly out of, you know, just de facto because there was no one else to do it. I'm not a great cook. I can, put it out on the table and I can, I can make something edible. I can even make something taste good, you know, um, but I'm not really, you know, a cook. Um, I'm not, no chef, whatever. There was a point during my um, Tenzo tenure there that I was really into making vegetable stock. I had read somewhere in some, you know, historical food book that back in the Victorian era, 
if you were the cook and you threw away the scraps of vegetables, or you could be dismissed or at best have your wages docked for throwing away um, something very valuable like the tops of carrots uh, and the peelings of potatoes. Because there was a, even in the most um, richest households, those, that food was valuable. That food was um, seen as nutritious and still had, uh, you could still do something with it. Unlike nowadays where we peel stuff and, you know, the peelings are in the garbage and all that. So I got really into making vegetable stock the scraps from the meals that I was making um, because Great Tree was mainly vegetarian. And I would take these scraps and I'd sometimes store them in the freezer, the tops of carrots, the um, skins from the onions, core from the cabbage, you know, all the stuff that we don't put into our meals, you know, or to our dishes, you know, because they're not inedible, but they're, they're hard to, to, to make into something that we, that's palatable to, to us sometimes. And I got into really, you know, throwing these things into a big pot and boiling them for a couple of hours and then letting them sit for a couple of hours, you know, uh, with the real, um, hope that all the nutrients would come out into that water. You know, I was making pot liquor, actually, <laughs> if you know what that is, and putting them into jars and keeping them, keeping them in the fridge. So it became like a real project for me. It was especially helpful during sessions because, you know, I would be the cook or somebody else, you know, someone else would sign up to be the cook for a meal and I could have these jars of uh, soup stock sitting out because um, at Great Tree, we kind of, we used our bowls a lot. We used our Oyoki bowls a lot. And so the middle bowl is always a soup. And so every meal almost would have a soup um, or a soup-like dish in that middle bowl. So I used it a lot. And we especially used it a lot during sessions when we were doing you know, full Oyoki set just about every time. You know, you have your basic stuff like your carrots and your, we used a lot of daikon and we used um, broccoli stems and things like that. Sometimes there'd be beet greens and maybe some odd vegetable like, uh, like uh, gobo skins and things like that. So the composition of the scraps and what went into the stock would be different just about every time. And the proportions of those uh, things, the proportions of onion skins or whatever might differ every time. A little piece of ginger to throw in, or um, I used a lot of uh, kombu um, seaweed and dried mushrooms and all that. During the spring and the summer, we'd have uh, herbs from outside like dill and parsley, you know, and 
and put the stems in from those. So the ingredients and the proportions of, of what made the stock would differ almost every time. And yet when I made the soup, whatever kind of soup it was, whether it was a, a vegetable soup or a cream soup, whether it was a pureed soup, like uh, we had a lot of squash, a lot of butternut squash soup and kabocha squash soup. If I made a cream of corn soup, whatever, you might have the corn cobs that you throw in. If you throw that into a, into a, uh, a stock, it'll make it cloudy and sweet. If you throw in the beet greens or the red stems from Swiss chard, it would change the color of the soup and you get this murky brown color. And so it would be different every time. The conditions would be different every time. And yet when I made my soups, you know, of course, paying attention to the proportions of what you put in, sometimes you know, I would add more clean water to the stock or, or something like that, or maybe add maybe a little bit more of, of, uh, of herbs to adjust the taste. But no matter what, you know, that, that conglomeration of, of, of vegetables, scraps, would make a perfect, almost perfect, base for any soup, regardless of what I did. And it wasn't even magic. Like I said, there was adjustments being made, but it wasn't even magic. It was just what it was. You know, that's what I had that day. The Tenzo Kyokun talks, talks a lot about attention and non-discrimination in dealing with food and dealing with, um, well, I'm saying food, but dealing with what sustains us in this practice. You accept the scraps for what they are, and you accept the, the value of them as having, even though they're not the best part of the vegetable or the prettiest part of the vegetable, as having nutrients as having something to, as, as being able to provide something um, for the Sangha. And this is also, you know, what I'm trying to say, and, and bear with me, is also the whole of what we do in practice. You throw away nothing, but you hold on to nothing at the same time whether you have the best ingredients on a particular day or ingredients that seem to not have any value or virtue at all, that's what you have on that day. And you give still your hold to making that into something of benefit. It's really funny because, you know, there's this, 
idea of one taste that also is mentioned in the Tenzo Kyoku. It's mentioned as, as being, you know, the practice where it's not for one's own aggrant, you know, uh, one's own aggrandizement or something. I don't know what word to use for that. Um, it's not just for making the best soup and being, you know, and, and it's not about talent. It's about intent and attention to what's there and not about the expectation of what comes out. There's a lot in that Tenzo job that has helped me to not really, maybe I don't really understand it, but I certainly feel an aspiration towards it. Um, at the end of the Tenzo Kyokun, um, Dogen begins to talk about Sanshin and the three minds. The three minds being uh, joyful mind, being magnanimous mind and parental mind. And how all that is, is part of the Tenzo job, is part of practice. My experience with cooking is that um, when I am not there, more than likely y'all are not gonna have no soup. <laughs> yeah. You might not have any soup at all because um, if my attention is elsewhere, if my feelings are all wrapped up in this, if my um, intention is to make something rather than to to benefit my fellow practitioners during session or to benefit whoever is sitting at the table, if my intention is to make something, then it will be a very thin soup. In a sense, and, and, I, and I have to tell myself this all the time because, it, because so many times there's been this, I, I've failed at this, you know, the soup begins, the, the, the cooking of the soup begins on the cushion. It begins with being fully and wholeheartedly practicing sanching, practicing the Dharma, practicing compassion and all of, on all of that before even getting to the kitchen and the pots. Because all of that has to be, you know, uh, available to, to us as we move through the world, as we go about our daily tasks, as we go about our daily interactions with people. I have to have parental mind for the rice. I have to have parental, parental mind for the utensils I'm using. I have to have magnanimous mind um, to be open to all of the, you know, uh, to the to all of the nutrition that's available in the scraps of vegetables and in 
the best of tofu. Otherwise, it's all a ruin. I have to have joyful mind in going to it because the joy of the Dharma and of practice is, um, is what allows me to freely give of whatever I have to give that day. But sometimes the soup is thin because I'm a human being. But at the same time, you know, the foundation of, just like the foundation of every soup is that, that, that broth that has everything in it. There is nothing missing. It is full and of everything that's needed and empty, especially empty of this me that I keep trying to throw up into everything and make into uh, something um, that being clotted with all my, my madness and my, my um, wants and needs is not helpful. It's funny because, you know, we take all this stuff and you put it in the broth. You take all your stuff, you know, the stuff that you've been using, you know, sometimes if it's in the freezer, you might've used it, you know, last week and for something. Um, you might've used those um, rutabagas, you know, that the you know, purple skin came off of to make uh, a certain thing. And here's the skin of the rutabagas and it's something else. Whatever you made with that before is gone. What you have right now is not what's left, but is what is. And so we have to start from there with respect for that and with um, openness to what it provides and can provide for it to be a part of that soup whatever that soup is today. So when you take that out of the freezer and you put it into the water, um, or if, you know, sometimes it's, it, you know, especially doing sashin, if we're doing a whole lot of different soups or a whole lot of different dishes, you know, you just cut it up, you know, peel it off and cut it up and put it in the pot and, you know, directly put the water over it. Either way, What's now? And then, you know, I'd take it and boil it for a couple of hours and let it sit and watch the color change with the intention that all this, all that these scraps have to offer will, you know, uh, bloom into the water, all the nutrients that are there. And then, to strain away those pieces and put into a jar the essence of all that, distilled and ready for what's next, for what's going to be next, for whatever soup is going to be next, for that um, kinjiru or for that 
squash soup. And not to expect it to be good. Um, to use it wisely and in proportion to what needs what needs to be in the soup without worrying about whether it was better. It's better than the soup you made last week, but for it to be total and good for right now, for whoever's sitting at that table and to put into it the intention of caring and compassion and joy for that person. Um, not because you want them to enjoy your meal and praise you, but because this is what is needed for us to continue living in the Dharma. This is what this person needs in order to move on during their day, um, regardless, you know, of whether whether I did good or not, doesn't matter. And this is practice too. To sit on the cushion is to bring all your scraps, all of everything that, you know, is Chino or whoever, whoever we think we are. And to sit with that and allow it to, you know, sit with that wholeheartedly and allow it to come on out and to drop the pieces that are just pieces that we, you know, little bits of construction of self and to actually allow the true nature to come out, the true nature of these ingredients sitting here on the cushion and to offer that to the world when you get up. I fail at this all the time, but it's practice. I rather miss my, the kitchen at Great Tree. There were times when I could be absolutely careful and, and mindful and joyful in that space and all that I got from that experience has fed me and, and kept me in this practice. And even the times when it didn't go so well, <laughs> um, are valuable too. Yeah. So there's so much in the Tenzo Kyokun that I can go over. This is just what happens for me right now this week. Um, there was something from it that I wanted to read here. Let me see what I wrote it. Oh, I guess I wrote down several things. Okay. And the thing that, that, that comes, came out for me in this of many times reading this. Dogen says, 
Take one stalk of vegetable to make the six-foot body of Buddha. Invite the six-foot body to make one stalk of vegetable. This is the divine power that causes transformations and the Buddha work that benefits beings. Cooking is, is, is transforming something that most of the time doesn't need to be transformed. A carrot is a carrot. You don't have to do anything to a carrot to get the nutrition that you need out of it to enjoy the taste necessarily, unless you just take the carrots, yeah, okay. Um, but even so, it's, a, it's an act of transformation. Well, even the eating of it, the chewing of it transforms the food. And in providing, in serving the Sangha, in taking something um, that, you know, without discriminating as to its value or whatever, and making the best thing that you can make out of it, taking the best of it, the whole of it, and putting one's own effort and one's own, um, one's own nature, in a sense, into it, is, is working, is working the Dharma, is practice. That's why Sangha is so important. That's why um, Zazen extends beyond the cushion or can extend beyond the cushion. It's that transformation that Dogen talks about in Kukan Zazenji of going, stepping backwards. Speaks about this in Tenzoko, I should have pulled that out too, but stepping backwards into and then through. So I think that's all I have to say about that before I get in trouble. <laughs> I have copious notes, but you know, they go in all different directions. So if there's anyone that would like to say something more or ask a question, please do. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much, Jimio. I loved your very clear conveying of the Tenzo Kyokin. Um, I haven't read it for a long time, and it's beautiful. I love your humble approach to uh, cooking. And I have been at Sushim's where the teacher has criticized the cook for making food that's too good because it acts like a distraction. Uh, to people when they can't wait for the next meal and that kind of thing and and it's, so it's such a a narrow uh, walk that you have to take and I just wondered uh, I mean I've been Tenzo here at AZC and um, you know of course one of the temptations of the Tenzo is to really get all involved with how much the people like the, like your food and looking to see how many people take seconds and 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 uh, you know, and, and I just wondered how you, you struggle, if you, if you have to struggle with that at all. Um, 
I don't know that I struggle with it. I mean, I, I, I know that if nobody eats the food, that means I didn't do very well. I, I don't agree with the idea that, that food shouldn't taste good. It's going to taste the way it's going to taste. Um, but part of, 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 of nurturing someone is to give them not so much, I don't know what I want, I don't mean to use the word pleasure, but um, also to satisfy, you know, that need to, you know, of, of, of food that is both palatable and nutritious. So I don't know about that. I don't know that, I know that I've struggled, you know, when, you know, people walk away and I'm wondering if they're still hungry. <laughs> let me find something else um but yeah i i know what you mean i i do know what you mean um but i think i i don't get that idea of of not making food taste as good as it is a carrot is good like i said a carrot is good you know and you know if you um if you appreciate what you're receiving, you know, and 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 it's not made in in in, in a in a way that makes it um, difficult to digest, you know, because taste is part of our digestion too. To bring it into your body, um, you know, it has to have. You, know, you can't be zinging all the wrong, you know, all the wrong buttons, you know. Um, because then you can't get it down and you're not fed. So I don't know. I think there's a middle way with that. But yeah, I, I do struggle a little bit with with, with that. Um, not so much trying to, I try to not make it a thing. Like I want to make it the best thing they ever tasted. <laughs> I want to make, make it, you know, so that, you know, they can eat it and get to the cushion you know, later on or get to some, some, you know, later on, you know, that's what it's for. Um, it's not to, to, to make the Zen center look good, like a, you know, five-star restaurant, you know, whatever. But, but, you know, if I walk into someplace and it's, and it tastes good, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, there's nothing wrong with that either. I don't know if I answered. Thank you. Thank you. Guy. It's usually better when I'm unmuted, or, or actually it's better when I'm muted. Um, but do you think there should be cats in kitchens? <laughs> this is the cat question. <laughs> Having had a cat in the kitchen, I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> It's a trick question. It is a trick question. Um, I don't know. Um, if you, Dogen says that you should, you know, be careful, you know, of mice falling into your pot. And we should be careful of all the little beings that are around, you know. If there's going to be ants in the kitchen, you know, I can't really cats. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I had a little cat named Leah who lived to be 20 years old. And at the end of her life, she took a liking to this little teapot that I had. 
where the cover of the teapot had been broken. And I'd actually been using the teapot as a vase, you know, because I didn't want to throw it away. And so it was water in it. So she would, and I would set it on the kitchen counter and I would come back and the kitchen counter and the flowers would all be scattered out of it. She'd be using it as a, as a, you know, water bowl, you know, sitting on the counter. So that's my feeling about cats in kitchens. I, I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Karen. Yes, uh, thank you, Timio, um, for that talk. I really appreciate it. Um, so I, I was struck by um, your discussion about, um, you know, the vegetables had these had this this purpose that they did for some meal, and then you save the scraps. And so when you use the scraps. You know, they're you're you're not making the vegetables. You're you're now. You're here now. You talked about that and in, in using what you have now. And um, I was thinking about that. How I carry, you know, past versions of things into the present. Um, and uh, and then and then miss things and. I think maybe I've had this on mind because we've we've had a disaster here and it reminded me of earlier disasters where things are changed, you know, and um, and maybe you, you don't have the things that you had before. And so you have to it's it's this thing about coming into the into what you have now. But there is missing things, you know, like you you mentioned missing the kitchen. Um, you still miss those things. I actually had I had a copy of um, Shohaku Okamura's translation of, of um, instructions to the cook. And um, he gave a series of talks at a practice period I was at in the mid nineties. And I had notes all over them, you know, they're everywhere covered with them. Cause he, he loves that too. And he was working on, on it. And uh, I lost that in a disaster. And, um, so I miss it, you know, it's like, you have these things that you miss them. And then, but then we also have to come into the present with it. So just thinking about that, there's a kind of tenderness in missing the thing that was there before bringing into the present, but then we also have to be in the present somehow. So you have thoughts on, on that kind of transition, I guess. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think we have any any um, choice but to be in the present right now. The tenderness that we feel for the things that we had in the past, you know, even that very um, precious book that you lost, you know, um, we still hold the essence of what was there, and what that essence is what is to me. Um, the essential rather than the thing itself. When I say I miss the, that kitchen, I, I do. And you know, I feel the same tenderness and loss for it because that's our human condition to want things, to desire things, to miss things. 
Um, but the full appreciation of what that was um, is part of our now. You know. um, that those the, that experience in the kitchen is what's making me talk right now. What's making me still, you know, engage in this Dharma practice right now. I don't need that kitchen, you know. We don't need that book, but the essence of what we can that came with that experience of of being in that um, in that interaction with with the book and 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 with Shohaksan and all of that, you know, is what is forming this question in your mind now that is making you move through the, the whatever process this Dharma is taking you. And so in a sense, it's sort of like the leftovers of the vegetables, you know, the leftovers of the vegetable, vegetables are eventually gone too, but the essence of it, the nutrition that makes us grow and makes us, you know, develop in this Dharma is there. It's what, it's what, it's not creating anything. It's, mm -hmm. it's allowing it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, I lost my mother like three years ago. Her birthday was a couple of days, a couple mm -hmm. of days ago. Um, and I feel that every day. But this is now to try to wallow in or hold on to something that isn't is to, in a sense, devalue it in a way, make it less, you know, than the, and, and, and not let it be fully what it is right now. So, Thank you. Thank you. Rich is next. Hello. I've been thinking about this phrase that I heard from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. He talks, of, it has to do with a soup, actually, tomato soup. And it's been sort of rolling around in my head for a while. It's this idea that he, I think it may have something to do with what you mentioned about attention and, and, non-discrimination about sitting he talks about sitting and noticing he's following his breath but he's also noticing that a thought arises of tomato soup maybe he's sitting in a sashin and he smells the cook is making tomato soup and he's like tomato soup i can't wait till the bell rings and i can have tomato soup but it's this desire that arises to taste this thing again that comes up but he still, you know, you still have to wait for the bell to ring. And it's like, how do you sit with wanting something that is out of reach, but you have to just, and you can't hold on, you can't get it, you can't grasp it, but you also have to just sit with what you, you know, it's like, how do you live with the desires that you have for things that, that are not there or, um, does that make sense? I mean, is- I think so, I think so. Can you speak a little bit about that aspect of, of like, like when you're sitting and you want something like soup 
to come mm-hmm. and you you really crave something but you can't mm-hmm. uh, do you- i don't know if i how well i can speak to it but i certainly know what you're talking about um i i kind of remember that that uh, story that you're talking about with taking i don't remember what he said about it but here's what i'm saying about it. um i think that desires are inexhaustible <laughs> They are coming up just like any thought that you have in your head during that time that we're, you know, doing during Zazen or during, you know, uh, any kind of practice, um, whether it's work practice, Zazen, whatever, but especially during Zazen, it's the thing that comes up and the thing you have to let go of. Desire is desire. You know, we, we, it's part of our, um, it's part of our suffering, this, this thing that, you know, create, that we create suffering out of. It would be wonderful, and sometimes it can be wonderful, to have that vision of, of tomato soup come up in your, in your brain um, during sitting and appreciate the wonders of tomato soup and then just let it go. Um, Or, you know, because this is what, this is what we are, you know, to come up, let it come up, appreciate it, desire it for a little bit. Um, Understand that this is not the reality in the now, because really um, Zazen is for us to see um, what really is, what the reality is right now. the tomato soup is in the kitchen. It's not here right now. Um, And then let it go. And that's all we can do um, as with any thought. And it's also a a way to, you know, realize, you know, sometimes we're sitting there and we smell the tomato soup and wherever it is in the kitchen and the thought comes up and the bell rings. And by the time the bell rings, the tomato soup is forgotten, you know. Something else is coming up that you want. Or maybe, you know, it wasn't what you thought. The tomato soup wasn't what you thought. It's minestrone. Oh, God. that's not <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, you know how we are. It's mm, just a yeah. part of our condition, you know. Mm. Um, and the same old, you know, um, sort of, 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 of instruction or whatever you want to call it applies. It comes up, it's there, you see it, let it go. Um, chicken soup next. Whatever, you can sit there on your cushion and go through all the suits in the world, you know. You can waste your time all you want to, you know. But at some point, it drops away, you know. Um, and that's okay. And that's, to me, that's just okay. It's part of practice. It's part of seeing our minds and part of seeing our desires and our wants and needs. There's lots worse wants, desires that are more harmful than a bowl of chicken soup. And those are the ones that are really the difficulties that we come against, our discriminations, our fears, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that's what we have to work with. That's 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 it. Thank you Thank for you. your question. Thank you very much. I just want to read in case uh, Chimio hasn't. Uh, Josh Copen said, "Pat, I still think about mid session quesadilla night." So you can be off the cushion and away from Sashin and still be haunted by quesadillas. <laughs> David is next. Dave Pakovic. Thank you, Chimnyo. Um, your talk has made me think so much about um, what I'm experiencing during the pandemic and maybe what many of us are experiencing during the pandemic of practicing in our homes. And... Um, you talked about um, cooking as an opportunity to extend the practice beyond the cushion. And um, it made me think about um, how when I've been practicing at home, um, I've been doing soji um, with the sangha in the mornings. And, um, and that I've really... Um, been so grateful for that because it has extended my practice beyond my cushion in a way that I never experienced before. I would say I'm, I'm relatively young in my practice. Um, but it has changed my relationship with objects in my house or maybe even with my house. I was cleaning um, a door yesterday as part of Soji. And as I was cleaning the door, I thought about, well, who made this door? And who installed this door before I owned this house or before we were in this house? Um, and I've never thought about a door in that way. <laughs> and um, and I, I owe that to Soji. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. But your conversation, your teaching has made me recognize um, also that cooking is an opportunity and a, and a moment to extend uh, my practice beyond the cushion. Um, and what strikes me so much about that is that I'm doing so much cooking for my family during the pandemic, three times a day, generally. I'm generally the cook in our house. Um, and, um, um, and I will be honest that it has been a chore. <laughs> it has not always been a joy. So we're a year into it and um, uh, I, I recognize now that we used to, um, probably get food from outside of our house anywhere from three to five times a week. And then maybe we would cook once or twice at home. And now it's three times a day at home. And all of that, that that includes and entails, including all of the dishes and all of that stuff. Um, but I, I just want to thank you for helping me recognize that this is this this cooking and cleaning and all of this in the kitchen is a real opportunity to extend uh, my practice uh, beyond the cushion. So um, you said that what what I think I heard you say is we bring to zazen in our practice all of our scraps, and I, I just love that image, and I, I'm going to cherish that image and think about it. Um, and then even more that there's nutrition in our, in our scraps. Um, and that, that I envision that they feed our practice. 
Um, and I just think that's such a rich uh, image. So thank you for that. I have ideas about what I think that means. What are, what are the scraps that I bring? Um, but I wanted to ask you, what, what do you mean when you say we bring our scraps to our practice and to our zazen? I think we, um, I think what I mean is we bring all of the stuff, the stuff that we respect and hold dear about ourselves and all of our things that we don't, um, don't so much value about ourselves. Um, and, and, and this, when I say self, it's this, this, this construct that we, that we create that's called self. Um, and all of the things that we um, value and don't value. Um, all of the things that we are proud of and that we regret and have made this story out of. That is what I mean. Um, and it depends on what you define as a scrap, you know, because the whole, you know, is, is there. Um, whether it looks good to us in this particular situation or, or construct or not, you know, the whole is there. Um, and I, I'm hesitating to say the good and the bad, you know, but, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you want to put, you know, all of the all of the, the labels on that. And all of it is of value in this practice. All of it you have to see and contend with in this practice um, in the same um, sort of way without discrimination as to what it is. So I think that's kind of what I mean. It might change tomorrow, but we'll see. Just in the same way that you, you know, when you sit, when you start, we're talking about um, cooking being a chore, you know, uh, cooking can be a chore. And when we, we got to think about what we think of as chore, and this kind of goes into that discrimination of, of, of scraps and non-scraps and all that. Um, the reason why we eat out so much is because um, what we feel is worth our time doing. Peeling carrots, you know, as opposed to, you know, whatever work we do outside the home or whatever. And I'm not saying this is, is, is you know, not still no discrimination of what you do. But I think the challenge is to put as much, um, as much importance, not importance, that's a loaded, loaded word to put as much um, of oneself into the peeling of a carrot as one puts into another endeavor that might be seen as more, um, more important in the world. Um, I think what people are discovering in being at home and cooking for, for children, you know, we go out to work every day to um, feed our kids and our loved ones. You're peeling a carrot to feed your loved ones. And we've kind of come, a, 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 for me, and kind of we've, we've, we've had this sort of disconnect between what it means to care for people 
um, and or to care for our, our, our folks. You know, you go to work to get the money to get the carrot to feed the kid. <laughs> carrot, you know, so there's this kind of disconnect, but you know, that after all this hard work out here, getting the money, it's hard to come in and deal with that carrot <laughs> when, so, when you could just go to the McDonald's, you know, I don't mean to laugh at that, but that's kind of, that's kind of where we are a little bit. I feel that we kind of are, that's just my opinion, but maybe, you know, um, what Dogen is trying to tell us, you know, living in the monastery, you kind of take away that sort of outer layer of identity that, you know, that one has as, you know, working or whatever else is going on in life. And there's nothing wrong with that life at all. Um, that is, but sometimes it's hard to shrink it in, you know, without having it taken away from you in the monastery. In the monastery, all you got is the carrot, you know, um, and you can build, you know, some outside thing, you know, to make yourself feel better or make yourself feel more important. But really, all you are is a carrot peeler right now. Peel that carrot, clean that door. When you really get into that with all of your, um, all of the same sort of effort that you put on the, on the cushion in Zazen, you know, you begin to see the door. You begin to see the carrot and the importance of what you're doing right then. Um, and the, the real connection that you get from passing that carrot on from the stove to the plate in front of the child or the spouse, or whoever it is. And we, because we play these games, what's important and what's not. And, you know, these discrimination games, because that's, that's part of self and making the self, you know. Um, things that are essential and the most important become a chore, um, whether it's cleaning a door or making dinner, you know. And part of practice is to drop the discrimination. I think that's what Dogen is talking about here, is to drop the discrimination between that makes that makes this action connection a, to a chore. So I don't know if I expressed that well, but. Yeah, thank you. Chimio, I really appreciate your talking about uh, the Tenzo Kyokun, and it's always struck me that this is the only fascicle, uh, the only, you know, kind of lengthy essay that, that Dogen wrote about somebody with a responsible position in the temple, you know, to give them instruction or to kind of talk to them about the importance of what they were doing and how to do it. And, and you know what its impact would be. So we have an abbot, we have an eno, you know we have all you know we have a treasurer. If you're in a in a temple, we have five, you know five or six positions, and this is the only one where he that he devoted uh, you know that kind of attention to, and that um, that always uh, seemed important to me. Um, and also you know it's a, such a it, we think of it as like a humble position. You know you're working in the kitchen you're sweaty and dirty, you have a lot of pressure on you, um, and you're not in the zendo. And like, 
if you're in the monastery or you're in the sashin, it's like the zendo is where it's happening. You know, that's where it's at. And this whole teaching just breaks all that down. It's really like, this is how to live, you know, this is how we're supposed to live. So um, thank you so much for talking about it. I, I too haven't read it in a while. I have many translations of it and lots of notes from various studies of it, but um, I was a Tenzo for a long time too at, in Chapel Hill and worked in various kitchens in, at Zen Center, never as Tenzo, but uh, you know, one of the, one of the, the unsung laborers and it, it has stayed with me. So yeah, thank you very much. Um, there are some comments. Uh, thank you for your thoughtful, heartfelt talk, Chimio. I hope you can visit us in Austin next time. And um, that was from uh, Bill Harnu and Mary uh, says, thank you for a nourishing talk. I was deeply moved. So thank you very much. And I'm going to post again our link uh, to making a contribution. You can direct a, a gift to Chimio from that page if you are so inclined, and we will make sure that she receives it. So thank you very much.